Let's read a Bible story, said Papa. The Bible has all kinds of stories. Exciting ones, nice ones, happy ones, even serious ones. The Cubs liked Bible stories. They were all about sword fights and floods and wild animals, all sorts of interesting things. Okay, brother and sister agreed, and even honey clapped. Welcome back to Deep in Bear Country, a Berenstain Bear cast. I'm your host, Phil Gonzalez, and this week we are celebrating. We are celebrating a holiday shared by millions all around the globe. People who will be celebrating that holiday this weekend, in addition to having started celebrating it this earlier in this week. It's a very, very well known holiday. It involves eggs it involves rebirth it involves spring if you guessed passover you're absolutely correct that's right this week we are taking a look at the holiday of passover but wait you say wait you wonder wait you phil you might be saying I didn't know there were any Berenstain Bears books that dealt with Passover. I didn't think there were any Jewish bears in bear country at all. They've never mentioned them, to which I say, oh, ho, you are absolutely correct. There are no Berenstain Bears books that I don't think even, like, really acknowledge any Jewish holidays. I don't know if there's any that acknowledge a Jewish, like, religion or culture. I mean, obviously, there's some that acknowledge that Jewish bears exist because i mean at least they did at one point in bear country because jesus exists in bear country so i mean obviously that history has to be there but as far as like bear country acknowledging the jewish faith there might be some books later on that like like you know nod towards hanukkah or something but i haven't come across them yet at this point bear country is essentially a christian nation which that you know shouldn't surprise anyone considering it's based on, you know, mainstream uh, middle-of-the-road America. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying that with, like, the disdain that's dripping from my voice. It's just something that you notice missing in a lot of children's books, uh, unless it gets the passing token nod with, you know, like, one or two characters who might be like, well, actually, I'm Jewish in, like, the Christmas book, and then people have to go, like, oh, right, uh, also Hanukkah. And, you know, like, like kind of like the, the Arthur special, where all of a sudden the friends of Arthur's celebrate, you know, different holidays uh, at least the rugrats did it right by having jewish characters who were jewish all year round but bear country certainly doesn't it's closer to the simpsons where everyone just seems to go to church uh until they need crusty the clown to do something to acknowledge you know that the fact that he's jewish and then then you're left like oh i guess i guess the only jewish character in this town is the conniving clown uh that's that's weird uh, I guess it'd be like I guess if they suddenly just made Raffish Ralph Ripoff the only Jewish character that would be even worse. So uh, maybe we uh, maybe we dodged a bullet there. But really, uh, why am I focusing on Passover then? If there is no actual Berenstain Bears book about Passover, well, I am acknowledging Passover because my family celebrates Passover because most of the people living in this household are Jewish. I am not, but my partner is, and our child is. And this Wednesday we had our first Passover seder. Thursday we had the second. Pass- 
Passover Seder, and Passover continues uh, through next, you know, through the middle of next week. So uh, you might have been wondering. I thought you might have been. You know, I thought Easter. I thought you'd be, and you know what? I've done an Easter special, and this is my Passover special. But you also might be wondering, well, if there are no Baron St. Bear's books that acknowledge Passover, Phil, how are you even going to talk about Passover? Well, my friends, I have four books in front of me, four books that I am going to talk about, which will help us acknowledge and discuss the Berenstain Bears in relation to the Passover story. Uh, I actually recorded this episode a little earlier this week as a live special. It was a little freewheeling, kind of touch and go. And then I uh, pulled out the audio and realized I had the wrong mic set up. And so the entire thing sounded like garbage. So I'm redoing it uh, a little more straightforward than I did before. So maybe this one will be a little shorter than my live cast, which was an hour long. So the four books that we're looking at today uh, are the four, I don't know how to, the four books that are your religious texts that aren't just Berenstain Bears living light stories that sort of incorporate Bible quotes or Bible tales into a Berenstain Bears adventure, but that are purely books uh, that deal directly with uh, scripture with the Bible, and in order of adherence to biblical text, in reverse order, of re- starting with least adherence to biblical text all the way to most adherence to biblical text, I will name them. The first one is the Berenstain Bears Bedtime Devotional can includes 90 devotions by Mike Berenstain. Now, this is a relatively recent book. I'm holding it in my hand. It's published by Zonder Kids. It came out in 2016, so just a few years ago, it is a bedtime devotional. As I said, what is a bedtime devotional? For those of you who do not know, a bedtime devotional is a small, usually a small, like pocket-sized book that you can put in your nightstand that contains Bible quotes and biblical-based poetry, and then a thought that goes along with that quote. So the first quote in here is, "It is good to sing every morning about your love." Psalm 92:2. And then it gives you a little, like, anecdote about Sister Bear poking her head out the window and taking a deep breath of crisp morning air, uh, acknowledging that, you know, the day is nice, the day is bright, thinking about everything that God gave you, you know, all the things to look forward to that morning, and then a prayer that Sister prays, like an action, like a non-biblical prayer, but then like sort of an example of here's a prayer you can pray. Uh, devotionals are nice. They are meditative. They are things that a person of faith might use just to sort of focus their mind, focus their prayers, uh, gives them something peaceful to think about before they go to sleep and something peaceful to think about when they wake up in the morning, kind of a way to focus your day if you are of a religious bent. The issue, of course, is that since these are simply collections of quotes and not actual, uh, you know, discussions of biblical stories or biblical precepts, if you are going to be using these books uh, instead of ever looking at actual scripture, you could be led down a path inside your own head, which means that uh, they don't actually contain commentary or discussion of biblical passages so much as uh, ways to just sort of make them relevant to your own life. And as we know, that's sort of creating your own echo chamber. So this is like the least biblically relevant uh, book in the Berenstain Bears uh, sort of biblical library. Uh, The next step up is the Berenstain Bears Storybook Bible for Little Ones by Jan and Mike Berenstain. I actually don't have when it was written in front of me. Let's see if I can just... Uh, 2015 from Zonder Kids. So this was the year before the bedtime devotional. And the biblical stories for little ones, in case you're wondering, is 
Well, it's 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 a book of Bible stories for really, really little kids. And here's where we get our first hint of where these Bible stories are going. Because we if we take a look at what is included in the biblical stories for little ones, it's creation. It's the story of Noah's Ark. David meets Goliath. Daniel in the lion's den. Birth of Jesus. The story of the good neighbor. Jesus in Jerusalem. And he is risen. This is These are Bible stories for preschoolers. These are Bible stories for kids who have no way of conceptualizing what the Bible is about. Uh, who have no way of conceptualizing uh, faith or their faith within their own lives. It's just a way of saying God created the earth. A few things happened that pave the way for Jesus to arrive. Here's Jesus. He's the good guy. Uh, just that's all you really have to know right now. Uh, it doesn't discuss Jesus's crucifixion. It doesn't discuss really the trial. It just mentions that he was taken away by bad men. He died and then he came back and an angel scared away the guards and Jesus was back. And that's really all you need to know, kids. That's really all you need to know. And, you know, if you're reading these stories to four-year-olds, maybe that's pretty much all you really want them to know at this point. But what I'm saying, the reason I bring this up is because, uh, again, this is a, a, a book for really, really, really little kids. And it does not in any way use the stories of the Old Testament uh, as a history of the Jewish people. It basically is like God made the world so that Jesus could show up. And this is important to us because the Passover story is really the, the story of the Jewish people and their their escape from bondage and they, the beginning of their compact with God. And the, the fact that this little kid's Bible storybook doesn't contain it might seem like small potatoes to you, but it is the beginning of this sort of weird Jewish erasure that exists in storybook Bibles. Uh, because the next book... Uh, the next sort of closer to biblical uh, text is the actual Berenstain Bears storybook Bible. It's the book we'll be using today uh, from 2000. I had trouble finding this before 2013. So right before the storybook Bible, uh, we're going sort of back in time. 2013 is the Berenstain Bears storybook Bible period by Jan and Mike Berenstain. Uh, it is a exquisite piece of work. If you do not own the Berenstain Bears storybook Bible and you're looking for a storybook Bible, it is just a delight. The illustrations are gorgeous. The layout is phenomenal. I believe it is some of Mike's best work. Uh, and this comes, of course, this is this is uh, more than a decade after he began doing uh, religious books, and it was and it's after he began. He had a conundrum, which is that Mike was like talking to his publishers at Zondervan, and he was like, he didn't originally want to tell stories from the Bible using Berenstain Bears characters. Uh, this is part of the conversation he's had a few times, which is he felt weird drawing Bible characters as Berenstain Bear characters. And uh, basically, what the publisher told him was, "Look, we do it with Veggie Tales, and <laughs> we haven't had it. We haven't been hit by lightning yet, so." Feel free to do it with the bears. And originally, he got around it by incorporating the stories into Berenstain Bear stories for Zonder Kids. And he would have the bears sort of portray the stories in pageants, like as if the bears were enacting the stories, but these weren't the actual characters. Which allowed him an which allowed him an out, allowed him to work around the fact that he had to draw Jesus as a bear or Moses as a bear or you know any of the any of the any of the characters as bears. But eventually, he seems to have worked through that and realized that this is what children's books do: they portray these characters as the characters in the kids' books. I mean, if again, if 
uh, Jonah could be portrayed as a cucumber or asparagus or whatever he was in the Veggie Tales, uh, you can draw him as a bear because that's the reality for the Berenstain Bears. It is funny on the cover of the Berenstain Bears storybook Bible, when you see the animals walking two by two, he did draw front and center two bears, grizzly bears, just bears. Uh, meanwhile, you see Noah and his wife and his family as Berenstain Bears, and it's it's this interesting. Like, here's how Mike draws bears. Here's how Mike draws Berenstain Bears. Um, and he also has like one of the bears' tongues hanging out, as if just to show, like, no, 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 these aren't intelligent, sentient bears. Uh, the next book, of course, uh, the fourth book, the final book up the adherence to biblical text ladder, is of course the Berenstain Bears Holy Bible, the New International Reader's Version of the Holy Bible, uh, published with Berenstain Bears branding, and as I've said before, at 2,034 pages, it is the longest canonical Berenstain Bears book. It is, my friends, just the Bible. It is the New International Reader's version of the Bible. Uh, it contains a few drawings of the Berenstain Bears, like, uh, like in between chapters or in between books, uh, which and they'll just have like a, a quote from one of the books. Actually, it's not even in between. It's just sort of stuck in the middle. It has a quote, a Bible quotes, and a and a, a Baron Steinberg's drawing that sort of illustrates that quote. So like it, it'll say like honesty. My God, I know that you tested our hearts, and you are pleased when we are honest. First uh, Chronicles twenty nine seventeen, and it says a picture of Papa Bear and Brother Bear. Like that's it. There is no other Baron Steinberg's material. It is just Zondervan published New International Reader's version of the Bible. And has it a few pages with Berenstain Bears drawings, and the cover in the back uh, are have Berenstain Bears illustrations. It's a handsome book. Like I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. It's it's a, you know if you're looking for a nice hardback edition of the Bible, that's I mean that's what it is. It's a nice hardback edition of the Bible. The spine has the bear family uh, gathered around. Papa's reading out loud from the uh, from the Holy Bible, and it says Holy Bible. The Berenstain Bears like on the spine. It's just a New International Reader's version of the Bible, and this one came out. Uh, this is from 2011, so a couple of years before the Storybook Bible. So as the years go on, they get simpler and simpler. Uh, but the text I will be using today uh, for the story of the Passover is the Berenstain Bears Storybook Bible and the Berenstain Bears Holy Bible. And I just want to explore and talk about the importance of this story, uh, the importance of Passover, and how uh, storybook Bibles tend to erase the significance of certain tales or just eliminate the tales all together, and whether or not the storybook Bible version of the uh, of the Passover and the Exodus uh, is worthy of inclusion uh, when teaching it to children, because this is a major story and its significance cannot cannot be overstated. So, uh, what is Passover? What is uh, what is the significance of Passover? Passover. Yeah, in general, and again, I am not a biblical expert. I am not an expert on Judaism. I only know culturally what I have experienced and what I have read myself. Uh, Passover is a Jewish festival. It takes place in the spring that celebrates the, the, the Israelites being liberated from slavery, uh, by, uh, the, being liberated from the slavery they were experiencing in Egypt. Uh, and it is kind of the, the next stage in the Jewish story, uh, previously, previously in Genesis, uh, the Jewish, you know, the human beings have been created. Uh, God had made a deal with people and was like, "Don't eat from this tree," and then they didn't 
you know, live up to that ideal. So he kicked him out into the world. Uh, then he, uh, you know, like there was Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he was like, "You guys are going to be the founders of Israel. This this family, you're going to found a whole new nation." And Jacob had all these kids, and one of them was Joseph. And there's a whole musical about that. Joseph went off and lived in Egypt and became like a pretty popular guy there. Uh, worked hand in hand with the Pharaoh. And Joseph's brothers showed up, and they had been a stinker, real stinkers to him. But then he was like, you guys are going to be kind of like the, each of you will sort of found a different branch of this whole, like, world of of Israel. And people were like, this is pretty cool. And so the Israelites all lived in Egypt for a long time. But then more and more Egyptian kings, pharaohs came by, and were just like, man, there's a lot of these Israelites around. And boy, oh boy, they sure do. Uh, they sure do. You know, like have just just a lot of you know influence and sway. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna sl- enslave them. Uh, that'll that'll learn them. But of course, it didn't because you don't enslave a people and not make them angry. And so the Egyptians were just like, instead of being like, well, maybe we should just free them and let them live their lives. They were like, no, we just got to treat them worse and worse and worse. So the Egyptians kept treating them worse and worse and worse uh, until finally. Ultimately, uh, the, the the pharaoh was like, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to kill all their sons. So as soon as uh, they have sons, we'll just kill the boys, and then we don't have to worry about any more Israelites. And in order to do this, they went to Shifra and Pua, who were these two uh, Hebrew women who were—it says, it says they were uh, midwives. They were, like, the peop- the women who, like, delivered the babies. And I love this story because—so uh, the pharaoh is all like, when these boys are born, you guys are there every time the boys are born. So you just got to just kill the boys as soon as they're born. And uh, Shifra and Pua uh, were like, all right, right on. We'll do that. And then uh, they wouldn't, of course. They would let they would let the boys live, and then they would hide the boys. And finally, the the, the pharaoh was like, what, "What's going on? Like these these boys keep living; they keep surviving childbirth." And Shifra and Pooh were like, "Dude, you just you would not believe it. The 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 Israelite women are just they are amazing. Before we can even they they go into labor, we hear about it. We go to their house to help them deliver the baby. Before we get there, they have just." Pump that baby. It's already born. We can't. These are the most. These are the strongest women we have ever encountered. We do. We don't know what to do. We can't. We. we it's out of our hands. These women just. They just. They. They just create these babies before we can even get there to do anything about it. And what I love about this is like so like, obviously Shifra and Pua are like pretty amazing women, right? Like these these midwives are just like incredible. The Bible's just like yeah, midwives are the like, the most powerful women on the planet at this point. And even God in the story is like, oh, my me. Like, look at this. These, these, uh, you know, because you guys are so awesome, Shifra and Pua, uh, because you guys are like the most amazing and you keep helping the Israelites grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. I'm, I'm totally like down with you two. And you guys are going to like have your own family. Like you guys just, I'm giving you my blood, like straight from God's mouth to you guys. You're getting God's blessing. You individually. Uh, so then of course, Pharaoh was ticked off. So then he's just like, we got to just get rid of, we just got to get rid of all the boys. So everyone just go, you find a boy, baby, Hebrew boys, find the Israelite boys, just toss them all in the river. Now this is, this is the, this is the really cool part. So, uh, one of the families had a baby boy and they were like, we don't want this baby boy to get 
to get murdered. So they, first of all, they hit him for a while, raise him until he's a few months old, and uh, then they're like, all right, we can't hide him anymore. What do we do? What do we do? Uh, let's, they make it. They made the basket. They put the baby in the basket. They push the basket down the Nile River. Okay, and the daughter of the pharaoh finds this baby floating in the river right and is like what a cute baby and the baby's older sister was like sort of like spying and making sure the baby was okay and she sees the pharaoh's daughter uh rescue this baby and so she goes up to the pharaoh's daughter and she's like oh what a cute baby do you want me to help take care of him i'll help take care of him in fact i'll take him to one of the one of the women in the village and she can help take care of him until he gets a little bit older. And so, and the Pharaoh's daughter was like, sweet. All right, go take care of this baby for me. So the baby's sister takes the baby back to the baby's mother who nurses it, raises it, uh, takes care of it. And Pharaoh's daughter is like, you're doing such a great job. I'm going to pay you to do this. And they're like, great. Thanks. Thanks for the, thanks for paying us to take care of the baby. And, uh, and then the baby grows, grows older, and they take him back to the pharaoh's daughter, who's like, I'm going to raise this baby as my own. I'm going to name him Moses, uh, because that means I pulled him out of the water. And that's like this like super, like, right off the, So if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, there is this tradition in the Old Testament of, I mean, just right here with, with Shifra and Pua, the two midwives who saved all the babies, there is this tradition in the old testament of god being like you know who the best people are you know who my favorite people are uh like anywhere the trickiest people the people who get around the rules the people who figure out how to survive and help their people survive and help their family survive by being clever by being super duper clever by twisting words around by finding by finding exceptions to the rules by by using rulers words against them uh by 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 slipping in and out around uh around the barrier set in front of them i love survivors we have this we have this entity who adores survivors people who get around even his laws uh just to to find ways to to continue living continue surviving and we see that throughout all of this and that is the like one of the basic like just foundations of these stories and i just i love it so much uh and that's, of course, the story of like Moses, the beginning of Moses. And Moses is, of course, the, the central character in the whole Passover story, the whole exodus, the, uh, the liberation of the Jews from, from Egypt. And I've been spending a lot of time telling you this story. So the question is, how does the Berenstain Bears storybook Bible handle this? Now, I have a lot of issues with storybook Bibles. I brought up a few of them, and the, the main one being storybook Bibles are told through editors. They are told through writers and illustrators because they're usually very cartoony, because they're supposed to appeal to children. They tend to leave out a lot of things or change a lot of things uh, to fit the viewpoints of the people writing them or the people selling them. Uh, Zondervan is a Christian publisher. Zonder Kids is for Christian children. Therefore, its stories are going to uh, favor the Christian viewpoint and because it is a christian publisher that is trying to sell to as many people as possible a pretty conservative christian viewpoint this is a uh this is a these are stories that are going to leave out a lot of the elements that uh, appeal 
to the people they were originally written for. So you're going to lose a lot of the tricksterism. You're going to lose a lot of the uh, a lot of the cleverness of the main characters. It tends to canonize and uh, and uh, put all of our biblical heroes, quote unquote, up on pedestals as perfect human beings, uh, beings who would not who would not kill, who would not lie, who would not cheat, who would not uh, who would not do anything that we would consider amoral today, even though. Surprise, surprise, biblical heroes throughout throughout the Bible, especially the you know, the bulk of the Bible, which we, we you know, which Christians know as the Old Testament, is filled with biblical heroes who did otherwise uh morally questionable things in order to survive or in order to get what they want. Because again, those tend to be the characters who are favored by the Lord, who are favored by God, who are favored by this character who is just trying to get himself, well, we'll see what God wants later on. So how does the Baron St. Bear's uh, storybook Bible handle this? Well, it does. what I love is that it does tell the story of Joseph and his brothers. And it does tell the story of how Joseph uh, continued uh, the nation of Israel and how he encouraged the Israelites to move to Egypt. Like, that's important. That's important. That's an important part of the story. Uh, without that, we don't have any context for why the Israelites were in Egypt, how that came to be. And it does acknowledge this is the Exodus. It doesn't just say, like, this is the story of Moses. No, it's this Exodus 1, it tells. Like, this is the story of Moses. Uh, it does say that the Pharaoh wanted to get rid of all the baby boys. And I can't, again, overemphasize how beautiful these illustrations are. The picture of Pharaoh overseeing the slaves in Egypt is... It's dynamic. You see, I mean, Mike has gone out of his way. It says Mike and Jan. I don't know how much uh, Jan had to do. I don't know who shared which, uh, like, duties on this. All I know is the bears look very Mike-esque, their faces and their postures. But they are just – the pharaohs, his costuming is beautiful. Uh, The painting on this is gorgeous. The hieroglyphics on the Egyptian – uh, like, temples is is gorgeous. The way the machinery is drawn as they erect – uh, walls and they erect monuments. You see the you see the the what you calls uh, the pyramids in the background. Tellingly, you don't see slaves building pyramids because, as we know historically, the slaves did not build pyramids. Those were built by contracted contracted workers. We have evidence of that. Those were it was far more. You know, we we also I mean historically speaking, we don't know exactly how many slaves were in Egypt. Uh, the Bible contradicts with what we think is actual historical narrative. Just how many slaves would have existed in Egypt at the time. But again, it's neither here nor there because we are telling the uh the story of the of the Jewish people uh uh in a way that shows, you know, like it, it's 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 storytelling. It's not a uh, hard scientific fact because that didn't exist back when these books were written. This was about telling us the history of your people. So uh I just love these drawings. So it does have that uh it says that Pharaoh wanted to get rid of the baby boys. It doesn't say kill, just get rid of um this one says, and then it just skips right over to one Israelite woman tried to save her baby boy. She put him in a basket, left him by the river's edge. The, it, it leaves out Moses' sister and mother raising Moses. It just goes right to the Pharaoh's daughter finding the baby and raising as her own, which is interesting because we lose Moses' family's cleverness and their their ability to 
to influence the raising of their son. They're like, we lose the fact that Moses, for his early childhood, was raised by his Jewish family. And even though he was still very young when he went back into the care of Pharaoh's daughter, we lose the fact that there is this strong line of, of him being raised Jewish before he went to go live with the Egyptian, uh, the Egyptian royalty. That is, we do see Moses' sister hiding and watching Moses be rescued. Uh, so we know, but it's not in the narrative, and we and we just we lose that connective tissue. Now, what happens in the in the Bible is that Moses grows up, uh, he gets older, and he sees uh, that the Jewish people are are being treated poorly, and uh, it's it's left a little vague in the Bible. But Moses knows that he is Jewish. He knows that he's not actually part of the Egyptian family. And what happens is he sees one of the Jewish uh, slaves being abused by a slave master, and he kills the slave master. Kills the slave master, buries his body in the sand. People find out that it was Moses who did it, and Moses hightails it out of there because he knows that even though he is essentially the son of the Pharaoh, he can't he can't with that. Like he's gonna he he would be put to death and like for killing a, a slave master. So uh how does the Baron St. Bear's Bible deal with that? Well it does show Moses wearing princely garb and shows a slave driver whipping a well not whip you don't see him in the act of he's raising his whip over a Jewish slave who's carrying a large burden. It says Moses grew up, he learned he was an Israelite. He became angry about how badly his people were treated by Pharaoh. He ran away from Egypt. So again, we leave out the murder of the slave driver. Is this important? It is very important because it shows that Moses, uh, as an adult, began his story, began the narrative, uh, killing a slave driver, doing something that children would know is bad, which is murder. And that excuses the parents from having to explain that one of their quote-unquote biblical heroes was in fact a, a killer who did kill people, uh, a person, uh, out of anger in in the Bible. And that allows, you know, from a writer standpoint, from a publisher standpoint, from an editorial standpoint, it allows parents an out so they don't have to, like, have an uncomfortable conversation with their kids. But from a, from a narrative standpoint and from the history of the Jewish people standpoint, it removes strength. It shows, it, it sort of turns the story into one of not passivity because Moses is still like an active character, but it supports a narrative that says that the Jewish people are not fighters, uh, which is a narrative that gets tossed around a lot. That there is a a, a sort of a, a a almost dangerous weakness to the Jewish people. Whereas when you look at the history of the Jewish culture of the Jewish people of the Jewish nation of of of, of the history of Israel. You, you see time and again people who fight and uh, battle their way through oppression uh, over and over again. There is this, there is this, uh, you know, this harsh phobia against the Israelites, this, this attempt to, to push them down into the dirt and this, this strength that rises again and says no and that beats down the oppressors over and over again. Uh, and that gets wiped clean from storybook Bibles all the time. We do not get to see Moses being a strong 
uh, fighter. We get to see him being a runner, a person who leaves and is seemingly blessed by God. But we don't get to really see what he does to take action in this. And so, yes, by by cutting out the murder of the slave driver, we are we are losing an element of Moses's personality, and by by extension, a a an element of this the this nation's personality, which is we will kill a slave driver in order to save one of our people, and that is important to know. So he runs away uh, from Egypt, and he lives in a desert, herding sheep is what, the, and he looks bored herding sheep. So Moses is, he's now in the land of Midian. He is a, a shepherd. And here's where the storybook Bible really leaves out a lot of stuff. So, so uh, Moses meets Zipporah, this woman who becomes his wife. Uh, he ha- gets a father-in-law, Jethro. He gets a brother, Aaron. He has a kid. Uh, and he is, he is in Midian for a long time. And the Egyptian pharaoh dies. A new pharaoh takes his place. He continues to treat the Egyptians, the Egyptians slaves, the, the Israelites, very bad. So God is like, all right, all right, all right. Got to take care of this whole mess. Now, many people wonder why God wouldn't just free the slaves. Uh, that's because God's interest isn't in really freeing the slaves. God's interest is in uh, building the the nation of Israel into a powerful people. And also being the only God on earth. That is God's big goal in this whole story. Uh, and it's, it's easy to miss because we're focusing so much on the people, but God has a plan for himself as well. He wants to really, uh, he, he, he's building his career. This is a God who lives out in the wilderness who, well, as we're going to see, live, you know, doesn't has to prove himself to people. People are like, who are you? And he's like, I'm God. And they're like, wait, which, which one? Because there's gods everywhere. People worship all sorts of different gods. And so Moses is out. This is many years later. Moses is out tending his sheep. He finds a burning bush and the burning bush is like, look at me. I'm, a, I'm, I'm your God. Now in the Bible, there's this, this is a long conversation because Moses is like, who are you? And he's like, I'm God. And God is like, I want you to go and I want you to lead your people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, out of bondage. There's this land. It's overflowing with milk and honey. There's all these other people already living there. But I'm going to take the, the you guys, the Israelites, to this land. It's going to be your own land. And you're going to do great. So go tell people that God has sent you. And he's like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, hold up. What? Wait, who are you? What do I even tell people? Who, what do I tell people? Who, who do I tell people you are? And God's like, okay, tell people just. I am what I am. I am that I am. Not I am what I am. That's Popeye. But I am that I am. Just tell them that I'm the God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Just tell them I'm the big God. I'm the, I'm the God. Just tell them that. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. How would I even prove to people that I even talk to you? How would people, how, why would people even believe me? And, and, and God's like, all right, all right. Pick up that stick. Now throw it on the ground. Moses throws a stick on the ground, turns into a snake. He's like, pick the snake back up. Picks the snake up. It's a stick. He's like, show him the magic stick. And he's like, really? And he's like, okay, put your hand in your pocket. Puts his hand in his pocket, pulls it out. It's covered in sores and boils. God's like, put it back in your pocket. Takes it back out. It's a, it's a fine hand. He's like, show him that. Show me magic stick. Show me magic cloak. And he's like, I don't, I'm not really sure, God. What, what, what do I even say? He's like, all right, all right, all right. What else do you want? Moses is like, you, sh- you gave me a lot of cool things to show people. You gave me some stuff to say, but I, I stutter. I have a speech impediment. I'm terrible at speaking. I'm shy in front of people. I stutter. I stammer. I'm a bad speaker. And so God's like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Take your brother Aaron. Take Aaron with you. Tell Aaron what to- I'll tell you what to say. You tell Aaron what to say. Aaron will do all the speaking for you. Are you satisfied? And and Moses is like, I'm not. And God's like, look, I will make sure all of this works out, but you have to do what I say. This is important. It's a long conversation. And in the storybook Bible, A, we get a beautiful drawing of the burning. It's just gorgeous. We have this bear who is Moses just kneeling down in front of the bush. But it's done in two pages. And basically it's just 
God tells Moses to go back and tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free. Uh, Moses has to lead God's people out of Egypt. Moses doesn't think he can do it by himself. So God's like, take, take your brother Aaron along. And so Moses goes back to Egypt with Aaron. He says, let my people go, but Pharaoh won't let them go. So God punishes Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And this is where the story of the Passover begins. This is where the celebration of Passover really begins. So Passover, and you're like, because you're like, I thought this was a Passover. This is Passover. Don't worry. Uh, Passover involves a, uh, a Seder. And what is a Seder? It's a ritual. It's a community ritual. It's a it's a a celebration. It's a meal. It's a story. It is a series of prayers and songs and actions. It is a process. It is a ritual feast that uh, when you think ritual feast, you might have an idea in your head of what that is. That is exactly what it is. Uh, the Passover Seder is is vital to to the Jewish calendar, to the Jewish year. Uh, it's also vital to many Jewish families. It is also vital to Jewish uh, identity and for many, for many, many, many Jewish people. Um, it is also incredibly ancient. It is, uh, I mean, it, and, it's, and when it happens is determined by the Jewish calendar, which I'm not even going to get into because it is very, if you remember from my Easter episodes talking about how we figure out when Easter falls. Uh, it's like that because it, it's based on a calendar that is not the, of course, Gregorian calendar. It is the Jewish calendar, uh, which involves sunrises and sunsets and faces of the moon. It's complicated. That's why you just you just Google when does Passover start. It starts at sundown, uh, which is important to remember. Uh, sunset, I guess you could say. And what's cool about the Seder is that you don't have to wonder how to celebrate it because uh, in the Exodus, God tells you exactly how to celebrate the Seder, what to do. You know, like, and this was, you know, codified over many years. But if you celebrate a Seder today, you are celebrating essentially the same exact Seder that has been celebrated for thousands of years. Uh, and uh, if, if you were a Christian and not a Jewish you know, person, uh, a very famous uh, person that Christians all know about celebrated the Passover Seder. His name was Jesus. Uh, that Last Supper that he celebrated— that was the Passover Seder. I know, I know it says it in the Bible, but a lot of people don't even, like, it sort of goes over their head. That was the Passover Seder. That's what they were doing. The whole, like, breaking the bread, drinking the wine, that's an important part of the Seder. And every single part of the Seder involves telling the story of the Exodus and telling the story of the Passover and the Israelites fleeing Egypt. But it's done in this ritualistic, uh, communal way that involves reading from the Talmud, that involves saying certain prayers, that involves singing certain songs uh, in this sort of joyous, uh, almost but also like very like sad and thoughtful celebration that involves going around the table and uh, not only reading important passages from uh, the Bible, but also uh, relating your own personal experiences, relating uh, the story of liberation to today, commentaries from current, uh, you know, like uh, political commentators, philosophical commentators, rabbis, Jewish commentators. Uh, it, it is, it is, it involves research on the part of uh, people in at, at the table. It's, it is a, it is a, it is a undertaking. It lasts, you know, they, it can last for hours and then at the end of it you eat a huge feast um 
involving foods that are that follow certain dietary restrictions as set down by God in the Exodus. It is it is overwhelming, and uh, if you've never if you've never participated in one, uh, it's only participate in them. Uh, if you've been invited by actual Jewish, I know that there are people who celebrate Passover Seder who, who I should say, there are people who do Passover Seders who are not Jewish and they sort of do it sort of just to sort of do it. Or uh, I guess there are like some Christians who do it because they're like, well, Jesus did it. So we should do it. Um, just know that if you're going to like do that, like that's a whole, that's, there's like a whole weird, there's a weirdness. There's weirdness around that. Just be aware there's weirdness around that. So if you go and you like, post pictures of it online, you're going to get some responses. Just know that. Uh, uh, when I participate in them, it's with my Jewish family and their Jewish family. And, uh, uh, but as I said, the Seder, the Passover Seder is just, it's, I think it's the most, I think it's, I think it, this says it's the most commonly celebrated Jewish ritual. And I believe it because, you know, like people do it. And this year in particular is a very difficult time because because we are isolated, because we can't gather together as families. That's hard. It's very hard because I mean, just emotionally difficult. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to do this episode, because I want people to be aware that uh, this is a hugely important time for the Jewish people. And this story is hugely important. It is about liberation. It is about freedom. It is about remembering that everyone deserves basic human rights and the right to live and the right to exist. And that is just such a fundamental foundation of this story. And uh, last night we had our second Seder and hearing people read and talk about how important this stuff is today was, was, you know, it's, it's just this constant reminder that freedom isn't something that we just have and enjoy. It's something that we have to constantly fight for and remember that there are people who do not have that freedom in all forms from from people who are still enslaved to people who are enslaved by the laws that govern their own uh, emancipation, their own uh, ability to move their own bodies, their own health. Uh, that's just it's one of those things that you have to constantly remember. And you talk about at this amazing, amazing uh, feast and and ritual and remembrance. So uh, uh, this is in the so in the, so in the story. It's important to look at the storybook Bible and ask: Is it is it treating the story with proper respect? Is it treating the story with the dignity it deserves? Um, is it treating the story? Is it is it treating the story correctly? Is it telling the story uh, the way it is uh, it is meant to be told? Or is it doing it in a way that brushes over a lot of of the important parts? So let's take a look at how it tells the story of, of the Passover. So Moses returns to Egypt with Aaron, and they begin petitioning the Pharaoh to let Moses' people go. Let my people go. Very famous saying. And... The way the storybook Bible treats it is they they go, they ask him, and he says no, and so God starts punishing Egypt. But of course, in the Bible, it's in the book of Exodus, it's a much longer story. It's very involved. Uh, Moses and Aaron petition Pharaoh over and over again. Uh, they do the walking stick that becomes a snake. That's like a big important part because uh, Pharaoh's like, I've got my own magicians. Like, I don't need some God to tell me what to do. I've got magicians. They can do all kinds of signs and wonders. And 
Moses is like, yeah, but our God can do even better things. Look, this walking stick became a snake. And Pharaoh's just like, nope, I am stubborn. I am not going to listen to what you have to say. So what happens is God is like, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some plagues. And every time Pharaoh doesn't let your people go, I'm going to do more plagues. So the first plague is the plague of blood, where the Nile runs red with blood, which kills all the fish, which makes everything terrible. They can't drink. They have no water. The fish die. Everything smells terrible. Um, but the magicians, the Egyptian magicians do the same thing. They're like, look, we can make, we can make water turn into blood. Uh, so Pharaoh's like, nah, doesn't work. Uh, so then they get the plague of frogs, which is just frogs fall from the sky. You may think that's not terrible, but imagine just frogs covering everything. And Moses is like, you let my people go. The frogs will go away. And then the Pharaoh's like, all right. But then the frogs go away and the Pharaoh's like, nah. And so another plague comes, plague of gnats. These gnats are terrible. Again, the same thing happens. The gnats are everywhere. Pharaoh doesn't listen. So then it's the plague of flies, biting flies, horrible biting flies, pouring all over Pharaoh's palace. And Moses is like, I can make these flies go away. And he does with God's help. And But then Pharaoh's like, no. Uh, I'm not going to let your people go. And so then it's the plague of livestock, where, like, all the livestock gets sick. And, of course, that's the people's food supply. But, again, Pharaoh's like, no. Then it's the plague of boils. People are covered in horrible boils. But, again, Pharaoh's like, no. So then it's a plague of hail, which I think is pretty self-explanatory. Everything is just being destroyed by hail. And, again, Pharaoh is like, no. And so then it's a plague of locusts, which come and they eat everything. And, I mean, locusts are, like, the worst thing that could possibly happen. And Pharaoh's like, no. Uh, and then it's the plague of darkness, which is, I think, my favorite of the plagues because that's just like the scariest thing in the world. And finally, 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 Pharaoh is like, "Fine, you guys can leave. Just take, pick up your stuff and leave. You could just take it, take what you need, and get out of here." But God is like, "Oh, wait, no, that's not what I wanted." So He makes the Pharaoh change his mind and. Then there's the 10th plague, and the 10th plague is the biggie because it is where God is like, I'm going to kill the firstborn child in every household. I'm just going to kill the firstborn child in every household, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to send out the angel of death to do this. And the angel of death is just going to fly over Israel, kill the firstborn of every animals, everyone. There's going to be this great wailing that goes up all across Egypt. And in order to make sure that this doesn't happen to the to the Israelites— I need you to take lamb's blood. You can kill a lamb, eat it, but also like you need to paint its blood over your doorpost. Like just right on the lintel, just paint it with blood. That way the angel of death won't kill the firstborn child in your household. So you guys I'll prove that like you guys are my favorite people, then he'll let you go. And what I love about this portion of the story is that there's a lot of elements of it that I love. But I love that God has a plan. He's got these plagues that he needs to he needs to show the Pharaoh and everyone that he is super powerful. And why? Because this again is a God who was in the wilderness, who was not being worshipped, who was not being really acknowledged at this point. And he's got to flex. He's got to flex his muscles. And in order to do that, he has to show that he has complete command, not only nature but over death itself. That he can take and give as he pleases. This is something that the magicians can't do. This isn't turning the Nile into blood. This isn't calling insects. This isn't causing and curing disease. This is simply just causing people to die. It's not something that God does often. Uh, in fact, 
He needs someone to help him do it, and that is the angel of death. And what, what is so powerful and so amazing about this story is that God is like, I can't just tell I can't just tell the angel of death not to kill these people. I've got to have you paint. But this has got to. This is some old world magic here. I've got to have you paint blood so the angel is like because this thing's going to be unleashed. It's 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 out of my control. Once I've unleashed it, it's just. I mean, I don't even have the like. Can God create an angel so powerful even he cannot stop it? Apparently, because this angel of death goes out and needs that ritualistic sign above the door not to kill what's in that house. I think it's so amazing. It's kind of creepy, uh, but it's 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 God showing his power. Here's here's the resources I have at my hands. All right, I'm demonstrating this not only to the Egyptians but to the Israelites. This is how this is what a powerful entity is. This is how you are being favored by a God who has this much power at his beck and call, uh, and it works. Uh, finally, Pharaoh is like, I mean, the Pharaoh's son dies as well and pharaoh's just like just leave just get out you have to get out of egypt now how does the storybook bible handle this well it has the the nile running with blood we see a a beautiful boat with a perturbed pharaoh and all these dead fish and then it just kind of runs down the the list uh has frogs has insects not gnats it has sickness uh, hail, locust, darkness. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. It doesn't list all the plagues. Uh, it also like has gnats just looking like itchiness and then flies. Uh, it doesn't have boils. It just has... Uh, well, it shows a dead bear in a bed, which is pretty intense. Locust, darkness. Darkness is just clouds with rain coming out of them. So that's uh interesting and it's okay and then it leaves out the hardening of pharaoh's heart which is again this is showing you so this story is being retold for the benefit of christian children showing that god is powerful but not showing god's the reason god is flexing for the israelites this is more to show sort of like look at how powerful this god is Uh, also it leaves out the blood over the door which is again a vital part of the story. It just says, at last Pharaoh was warned that if he did not let the Israelites go, many Egyptians would die in one night. Just many Egyptians, not firstborn. God told Moses that the Israelites should mark their doors with red so none of them would die. With, with red. Red what? Paint? I guess, because it just shows a bear painting over his doorway with a, a bucket of red. Um, on that night, many Egyptians died, but no Israelites died. It doesn't mention children. Uh, doesn't mention Pharaoh's child dying. It does show a crying Pharaoh, but you, he could be crying for any reason. And it says, finally, Pharaoh agreed to let people go. Again, we're leaving out vital parts of this story. So uh, in the in the Seder, you acknowledge each of these each of these uh, plagues that that occur. And what the story here does, though, in the storybook Bible, it leaves out the passing over of those. Ha- it does not mention the passing over of the houses and that's a that's a major it does say that like no one died in those houses but it doesn't say the angel of death passed over them and that's like that's where passover comes from like that's that's passover the fact that as the culmination of all these horrific things that god was inflicting on it god gave the israelites this secret and was like here's how you avoid here's how you avoid the death here's the great the great passing over of the angel of death this is the final, the final, final plague, and you will now be liberated, more or less, because a few more bad things happen. Uh, 
Pharaoh tells them to go. And now in the Bible, here is where we get a lot of instruction. So in Exodus, God is then like, okay, you guys are going to take off, but, but you're going to have to remember this. And here's where God starts laying out the rules of the ritual of the Passover Seder. God just nails, like, here's what you eat. Here's what you do. We haven't even gotten to this part of the story yet, but God's like, you got, you got to eat matzah. You got to eat unleavened bread. Why? We haven't got to that part of the story yet. Uh, the priests who wrote this story down later on really wanted to make sure you knew this ritual. So the, he just, God just lays out the rules of the Passover Seder. Bam, bam, bam. One night after the other. Uh, but then the the Israelites have to flee. They don't. Pharaoh's like, you got to get out, but I'm not going to give you a whole lot of time to do it. And this is like some major, some major instruction. So the Israelites had to had to pack up and go. The way the story is, they didn't have time to let their bread rise before they left, so they had to bring unleavened bread with them. That's matzah. Um, and we have this statement in uh, in Exodus where, uh, you know, God's like, you're going out, you're going out to the land of milk and honey. It's not going to be, it's not going to be easy. Um, you're going to have to travel for, for a while. Uh, he lays out the rules of, like I said, the rules of the, of the Passover, uh, ritual, the Passover celebration, the, the, the Seder. Um, and he says, when you celebrate this holy day, it will be like a mark on your hand. It will be like a reminder on your forehead. This law of the Lord must be on your lips. The Lord used his mighty hand to bring you out of Egypt, obey this law at the appointed time year after year, and you'll be taken into the land of milk and honey. Uh, Storybook Bible, of course, doesn't mention any of this. It is just using the story as a way to show how determined God was to lead these people out of Egypt. Again, because it treats the entire story as prologue to the coming of Jesus. Um, but we do have a great image, wonderful image of Moses leading people out of Egypt. Uh, it's Moses, and he is followed closely behind by Aaron, who is blowing a shofar. Uh, which is a which is a like a ram's horn, uh, and he's leading the people. We see all these Israelites coming out of Egypt with their with their animals laden, their 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 livestock laden with bags, and they have carts and shepherds' crooks. They look tired. Moses looks determined. Again, I have to commend Mike for the amazing illustrating work he did in this book. But of course, as soon as the Israelites leave, Pharaoh's heart gets hardened again. He runs after them with his chariots, with his with his soldiers. Moses and his people get to. Oh, and also, uh, Moses is carrying. They're they're bringing with them the bones of uh, of Joseph, which was like something that happened in Genesis. Uh, Joseph was all. Uh, Moses took the bones of Joseph along with him. Joseph had made the Israelites give their word to do this. He had said, God will surely come to help you. When he does, you must carry my bones up from this place with you. And I love the idea that like. There, like Joseph, who like we all know from like Joseph and the Amazing Technical Dream, goes like, "Go, go, go, Joseph! You know what they say." And he sang a song like, "Give me my colored coat, my amazing colored coat." And I would love if if Lloyd Webber would go back and like add on like a final, just a final, like a little like epilogue. Like everyone claps, everyone comes out, does their their bows, and they're like. One last song, five, six, seven, eight, and it's like, and Joseph is like, comes out. He's like, by the way, the story's not over. A few years later, I became a skeleton. Jo- Moses had to take me into the promised land. I was Joseph skeleton dancing around, and maybe they have like one of those like, like people who comes out like with like a 
those puppets you attach to people that like sort of like you attach their legs to your legs and arms to your arms and you just have a deck of dancing skeleton and he's like i'm the dancing skeleton i am joseph here is my skeleton going to the promised land just because his story his body kept going like at the end of evita they talk about how like evita's body like disappeared and like had many adventures after she had like evita's body had more adventures than evita did uh so did apparently so did joseph's like he's like thought the story was over but now i'm a skeleton uh it's just one chat like one little like paragraph in the in the in the story of exodus but like he has scary skeleton with it there was a scary skeleton like there's a scary skeleton in that story and i feel like it needs to be pointed out no scary skeleton in this storybook bible uh the moses and his people get to the sea the red sea and they're like oh snap we can't cross an ocean we can't cross this huge sea so god in the in exodus is like don't worry about it don't worry about it worry about it moses you got the magic stick still like the the rod the, the stick i gave you hold it out hold out your hand and uh give me tonight so while they're all like in their in their camp worry god who has been traveling with them is like this like pillar of like like what is it like cloud uh just starts like whipping the sea up and it takes all night it is this long process god uh slowly parts the sea with with this great wind so that when the egyptians finally start catching up the uh the israelites are able to cross where the sea had been and there's like sea on the left on the on the to the east and sea to the west and they're looking up and they're like whoa the walls of water and then when the egyptians come to try to cross as well their their wheels get stuck in the mud and then the sea crashes down and drowns them and that does happen in the in the berenstain bear storybook bible we get to see uh they do it like they do in a lot of movies and stuff where like moses parts the sea like in just one fell swoop he like holds his hands out and the sea parts uh but the usual pharaoh get drowned oh boy and we see them like oh no like wow like the horses and everything just getting drowned we see the israelites barely made it and moses looks a little stunned he's like oh oh, oh no this is a this i didn't expect things to get this violent uh but alrighty, and that is where okay so the storybook bible then leaves off there well, it doesn't really leave off it says that the 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 Israelites uh, got hungry and thirsty out in the wilderness, so manna fell from the sky to feed them. That when they got th- when they got thirsty, Moses hit a rock with his staff, and water came out. Then Moses went up Mount Sinai. It doesn't say Mount Sinai; it just says a mountain. Uh, and that God gave him two tablets with the Ten Commandments. And then, as we know, the story can. Oh, it doesn't continue. Oh no! It just in the storybook Bible, he get the Ten Commandments, and it jumps right to Samson. The story of Samson. Oh, right, 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 right. Because we're done with that story. So that's the issue. So in the Bible, the story of the Exodus continues for a long time. It doesn't just jump to Judges. Moses and his people have many adventures out in the wilderness. Uh, A lot of disappointments, uh, a lot of battles, a lot of death, a lot of God getting angry and Moses having to talk God's anger down because boy, oh boy, does God have a short fuse. Boy, oh boy, does God want to kill the Israelites quite a few times, more than you would think in this story. And why? Because God is a hot-headed so-and-so. God is still, uh, as Karen Armstrong says in one of her books about God, she was just like, this is a God who is young. This is a God who's still learning his way around his people. This is a God who has a covenant with these people, but he doesn't exactly trust these people. And they don't exactly trust him. When Moses goes to get those Ten Commandments, he comes back down with people have built and are worshiping a golden calf. Where'd they get the gold? We don't know. Brought it with them, melted it down, turned it into a calf. Because they're like, man, that 
Moses has been gone for a long time. I guess God's gone too. We got to have something to worship. Worship this golden calf. God does not take kindly to that, punishes the people repeatedly. In fact, remember when Moses hit that rock with his stick and water came out? Well, in the Bible, Moses does that. And uh, he says the wrong thing when he does it. One thing to bear in mind is that the, the books of Moses are the first five books of the Bible. So that's you know, it's a Genesis, Exodus, uh, what is it? Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So, like, it, there's a lot of stories. Moses, a lot of these stories get repeated. A lot of these stories uh, take on, there's just books, just, just like chapters and chapters of just laws, rules. Uh, not only rules of, like, how to worship God, but, like, rules of what to wear, rules of what to eat, rules of where to go to the bathroom. Uh, jo- uh, Moses builds a tent of meeting. Uh, we get the whole Ark of the Covenant. We get, you know, like, a pillar of fire, a pillar of, uh, a pillar of smoke. Uh, we get, you know, like, uh, horrors rain down on the enemies of Israel. Horrors rain down on Israel by, by God. Uh, and we get, uh, just, it gets very technical. We get lists of names, we get lists of rules, we get lists of laws. And finally they make it to the land of milk and honey. And of course God is like, see that there's the promised land, Moses, just like I told you, can't go in. Moses dies. That's it. Like Moses doesn't even get, because God's a petty guy at times. And, uh, the story goes that God was mad because Moses didn't give him full credit when he hit that rock with his staff and made the water come out. And that's kind of like it's sort of generally accepted. It's like, why wouldn't Moses get to go to the promise? He, he's, he led them out. of Why doesn't he get to see the promised land? And they're like, because God is, you know, he carries a grudge. So uh, in, in uh, the, the, one, of the, one, of the, one of the ideas by the Passover Seder, one of the, one of the great things in the Passover Seder is uh, you tell this story. You do these these songs and these prayers, these these uh, ancient ancient rituals along with the story, and uh, it not culminates. It's not the final thing, but one of the big one of the big aspects of it is the Dianu, which is uh, a song called Dianu, which you may have heard. But it's also a it's it's a recitation of. Uh, acknowledgement that God did many, many, many amazing miracles in order to get uh, the the Israelites out of Egypt, in order to in order to free the Jewish people from slavery, and He only ever had to do one of those things, and that would have been enough. And the fact that He did so many things was amazing, but any one of those miracles would have been enough. And that's that's the, the concept of Dainu, is this acknowledgement that all these amazing things happened for them, but the, also this acknowledgement that like ev- just a single one of those miracles was was enough for them. And and you know and it's also igno- you know a way to remember that amazing things still happen to you today. And uh, that every great accomplishment is a series of, of what, what it means to me is that every great accomplishment is a series of smaller accomplishments and, uh, and that we don't achieve anything in our lives without the help of others, without the help of community, without the help of people in, in that who have power, who can help us. Um, but we don't get any of that in the Berenstain Bears storybook Bible. We, we get it ending with the 10 commandments. And the reason, uh, be is because the rest of the story is unimportant for the purposes of the editors of the writers of the publishers they don't need the rest of the story of moses because that's the story of the jewish people and we are not getting the story of the jewish people here we are getting the story that leads up to jesus and even though the storybook bible continue like has uh, the story of jesus is is of course it's a it's a sort of squashes the gospels together into one kind of like 
when when shorts when when like single story the jewish stuff is still most of the storybook bible but again there's no separation here there's no saying this is a story of a people it's more just saying this is all preamble and now jesus is here and of course because that's that's what this is for it's for it's for christian christian readers but it also shows the the weakness of of a book like this when it comes to teaching stories from the Bible to kids, because you're losing all this context. You're losing uh, kind of the point of what a lot of these stories is. You're losing the heroism. You're losing the, the, the intelligence and the shrewdness. You're losing the women. There are so many women. Miriam, uh, uh, the first Jewish prof- female prophet, uh, sings uh, a beautiful song. About the Jew, about the liberation of the Jewish people, as soon as the as soon as Pharaoh's people are drowned, uh, it's the first recorded song in the Bible, and, and some people could say it's the first recorded song in history uh, that we have. Uh, you know the words to that we it, it's a call and response song. It's a song of women uh, celebrating, singing the liberation of their people, and not in the storybooks. We don't get Shifrem Pua. We don't get Miriam. We don't get uh, Zipporah. We don't get a lot of the women in the Bible. And although women tend to get short shrift in the Bible, uh, there are women in the Bible who do some amazing things, who who make some incredible deals, who make some incredible sacrifices, who are very strong. Uh, I mean, with the, this book does give us the story of Esther, which is great, but... We lose a lot of those characters when you pare these stories down. When you try to make these biblical heroes perfect, who don't need a lot of help, who are just these symbols of how awesome the heroes of the Bible are. Uh, whereas the Bible itself, the, the the writers of the Bible, even when they try to do that, they cannot help but make these characters complex and thoughtful and tricky and shrewd and clever. I mean, even the New Testament, even... Even uh, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, he 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 is even portrayed as like a flawed character. He he loses his temper. He he makes he makes errors. He uh, he contradicts himself. He flies into rages. That's a very human thing to do, and we lose that. We tend to lose that in storybook Bibles. I'm not saying there's no purpose to storybook Bibles. They are a good way to introduce concepts. But as I have said about some of the Berenstain Bears' first time books, they are a jumping off point. They are conversation starters. Uh, no storybook Bible is complete. You have to have these stories as written down in the Bible. And don't just look at the one Bible you have. Get online and look at different translations. They're there. You can find these parallel texts that have the different interpret. Because if you're reading them in English... You're not reading them as written, and you're losing some of the nuance. You're losing some of the subtlety. You're losing a lot of the commentary. You And you may be saying, like, Phil, why are you, like, I never knew you were this religious. I never knew you cared this much. And the thing is, I'm not religious. I'm not a religious person at all. But I think this stuff, this is very, if you want to understand the history of humanity, if you want to understand political history, if you want to understand the way the, and the reasons that, that, national borders moved around if you want to understand why decisions were made why bad things happened to good people it is vital that you understand how religion works all religions uh and judaism and christianity are two of the big ones and if you want to understand 
why people do the things they do and say the things they say and believe the things they believe, you kind of have to understand how these stories work and how they how they have been used throughout time. And storybook Bibles are a part of that. They are a part of, you know, as cute and sweet and beautifully illustrated as the Berenstain Bear Storybook Bible is. And if you're looking for a storybook Bible, you could do a lot worse than this one. It's gorgeous. It's a nice hardback copy. It's sturdy. It's th- These illustrations are amazing. Um, and because Mike is so well-educated, he, he, he started off, I believe, as a Quaker, going to a Quaker church. Uh, because, you know, Jan and uh, Stan didn't, have a, didn't raise their kids. Stan was Jewish and Jan wasn't. And so Mike kind of came to religion later on in life, which means he went hard on it. So he knows a lot about religion. And so he peppers the illustrations with uh, things that you don't think about. In the, so if you're going to get a storybook Bible, this is a good one. I will be dipping back into it as we go along. But uh, yeah, the, the whole point of this was to talk about, to, to, get, to get a taste of the storybook Bible, but also to, to honor the Passover, honor, honor Passover, honor the beautiful Seder I have with my family. It's it's I I relish this time of year. I relish the Seder. It's something that Alana introduced into my life and that I I consider just an important part of the year. It's difficult at times to find one to go to, uh, but we've had many different Seders over the years. Alana has cooked some amazing food. Uh and I just I wanted to take the time this week. To say it's not just Easter, there is another major holiday occurring, an older holiday that Easter borrowed from eggs and uh, rebirth and liberation, uh, the beauty of spring, uh, the beauty of having survived, once again, having survived the winter. Um, the history of the Jewish people is a history of survival and against so many odds. And... Right now, we're looking at a, a time in the world where people are surviving against all odds, and uh, I just I need I need personally to stop and be grateful that I am here and that I have my beautiful family, uh, my beautiful children, my beautiful partner, our wonderful house. Uh, we have food on the table, and we have a we have a morning every morning and a bed every night, and I want to be grateful for that. And the seder reminds me of that. That people survive, the Jewish people survive and fight and love and struggle and eat. And it's not my culture, but I am being allowed to share in that culture. And I am so grateful for that. I am so thankful to have that in my life. So that's what this that's what this episode was about. And also Joseph's Joseph's dancing skeleton. I just can't forget Joseph's dancing skeleton. So go read the Exodus. Read, just pick up pick up the Bible and read uh, the Exodus, and then you know Leviticus and uh, and Deuteronomy. And just read all that. It ta- it's going to take you a while. It's worth checking it out, especially the international reader, new international readers version. Very readable translation, uh, and it's got some good notes. Uh, but then, then get on get online and spend a few days, weeks, months. Uh, exploring the different translations, and then maybe, just maybe, you'll you'll start getting a feel for what for what the story is about. Because uh, it's about more than the storybook Bibles. But again, if you want a storybook Bible, uh, you could do worse than the Baron Saint Barry storybook Bible. Uh, so that's it for this week. 
I'll be back next week with more Berenstain Bears because that's me. And thank you for listening. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of my life. Thank you so much for encouraging me to create every single week. I love it all. Uh, I know it's a hard time for a lot of people, but if you can give, patreon.com forward slash deep in bear country is there. There's some bonus stuff on there if you are a patron. If not, that's cool. That's cool. Live your lives uh, and be, be healthy, be safe. And I will see you all next time deep in bear country.